Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Canada is preparing for the single biggest Pfizer vaccine shipment to date. Are we in the clear now? Is it too soon to be optimistic? We'll discuss that. According to a leisure poll, a vast majority of Canadians are blaming Ottawa rather than the provincial governments for the delays in the COVID vaccine. And it's a snow day, of course, today, and we could be in for more later this week. Chief Meteorologist for Global News, Anthony Farnell, joins us. And Donald Trump was acquitted of inciting an insurrection in the Capitol this past weekend, but Saturday's verdict has not settled the debate among Canadians, and Americans for that matter, too. Is he guilty or not? It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. To start off the show, I want to talk about vaccines. Because there's some good news, I guess, for the, the folks here in Canada about vaccines that are on the way. Prime Minister Trudeau says that Canada is getting millions of doses of COVID-19 vaccines early thanks to an accelerated import schedule and additional orders. Steve Henniger has the details. The Prime Minister says he's been assured that 4 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine will arrive by the end of March, as promised, while 10.8 million doses will be delivered between April and June. Trudeau says all remaining doses, some 40 million in total, will arrive by the end of September. That's 2.8 million additional Pfizer doses between April and June, and 6.2 million more between July and September than originally planned. Recent production delays at Pfizer's plant in Belgium have been blamed for a concerning lull in Canada's vaccine vaccination efforts. Steve Henniger, the Canadian Press. So are we out of the woods, vaccine-wise anyway? Let's talk about this on the program. Joining us is uh, Thomas Tankate, who is a professor in School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University. Professor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Yeah, thanks very much, Bill. Are we out of the woods now? Are we back on schedule as far as the vaccination uh, schedule is concerned? I would say that, uh, you know, it, it's good signs that the, uh, you know, these do- extra doses are coming and coming earlier, but but broadly, you know, I personally, I'd like to see that the schedule really ramped up even further. And how can we do that? I mean, we just we had such great expectations around Christmas time that you know we we thought we were behind because of the scheduling, but that we were assured by the government, no, 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 we're going to be fine. And uh, you know, the, the the mantra we're still hearing from the government is that by late summer, anybody that wants a vaccine is going to get one. Do you still buy that? Yeah. Uh, well, like, like definitely, you know, based on the numbers that they're talking, if, if, if they all come together, then, yeah, sure, sure, that, that target will be met. You know, I think, you know, what we've already seen is that the, there's a, you know, that, that road's reasonably bumpy and uh, has some ups and downs. And, uh, like, you know, I, I think we have to be optimistic, but uh, at this stage, the, you know, the history of it is, is not, not uh, giving us great hope in, in that regard. But, but, Having said that, you know, I want to be optimistic. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it seems, you know, when you look at the way uh, the, the overall Canadian approach is sort of to, in a lot of ways, to sort of stretch it out a bit, you know, through to sort of September. Whereas if you look at other countries, they've, they've really ramped up and, uh, you know, d- uh, administered, you know, huge amounts of, uh, huge numbers of vaccines. Uh, and even, you know, like Israel, uh, you know, over 6 million uh so far, doses uh, UK nearly 16 million doses by you know by this stage, and uh, and if you look at it as the number of doses per hundred people, you know Israel is in the 73 per hundred people, UK is at 23, whereas uh, Canada is around three, and uh, what puts us in with you know tracking with a lot of the uh, European countries. 
And, the, and by the way, some good news out of Israel, as you were mentioning, Professor, uh, 94% drop in symptomatic COVID-19 cases uh, with the Pfizer vaccine, which is the, the vaccine which is coming here. So uh, if anybody had any doubts about the efficacy of the vaccine, that seems to underscore that uh, these guys seem to be on the right track. Oh, yes, definitely. And, you know, I think, you know, this, this sort of, as, because of the, you know, sort of the wide wide distribution now of the vaccines and, and as, as they're being administered, they're, they're also putting in, in, you know, tracking, you know, what's happening. It gives us a really good idea of, you know, how effective the vaccines are. And, you know, it's really good news that the, uh, you know, the Pfizer vaccine is, is at the level of efficacy that, you know, they initially indicated from the, the phase three trials. Professor, is it unusual for for the the manufacturers of these to 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 have these stumbling roadblocks that we've seen Pfizer and Moderna vaccine, by the way, with a lot of that was promised to Canada too, and apparently that's not coming uh, to the same degree that they had promised at the same time. Uh, this is all happening at warp speed. We get that because you know we were expecting maybe three to five years before we even got a vaccine, and it's been about a year now that we're now we're into this rapid acceleration to try to get this. But uh, you know the Pfizer's and the Moderna and even the Johnson & Johnson, which is anticipated uh, sooner than later, I guess, are all saying, uh, yeah, yeah, I know what we said we were going to deliver, but we're not there yet. Is, is, is that usual? Uh, I, I think, you know, the reality is that it's, like you said, it's pretty unprecedented what, what they're trying to do uh, and, the, you know, just the large numbers that, that they're doing that, that, that you know, they, they haven't, haven't ever had to ramp up uh, as quickly and for so much, uh, you know, in the past. And so... So because of that, you know, you, we have to expect some uh, some bumps in the road. Uh, but but you know, I think what what it you know what it looks like is that you know some countries have gone gone in hard and you know ordered uh, you know you know really much larger quantities than, than what Canada has, and and you know because of that, they're in a lot of ways they they're getting in some ways preferential treatment. It, it seems. Well, and yeah, we know the history about you know, the the negotiations that were going on between Canada and China, and and that fell apart. And we're starting to understand the Chinese government probably had a lot to do with that, unfortunately. But should we be looking for a Plan B at this stage, or should we just wait for these major manufacturers, the Pfizer's and Moderna's, etc., to come through? Uh, because other other countries are are starting production as well. I'm, I was kind of surprised the other day to find out that Germany's actually signed a deal with Russia uh, to get some vaccine from them. And of course, uh, a lot of people looked. Uh, rather skeptically at Russia when they announced that they had a vaccine months and months ago right now. But, uh, you know, if, if you're looking to get, you know, rapid acceleration and rapid uh, in, in manufacturing of this stuff, do we need to look outside of, of these major companies and start looking at India, Russia, maybe even China again? Uh, yeah, like, like definitely, you know, the, you know, having more suppliers will give you more options. Uh, you know, the, the, the stumbling block is the, the uh, approval by Health Canada of, mm -hmm. of the... Uh, the use of the vaccine, but but I think you know all, all of the you know the different um, vaccine uh, manufacturers are you know they go through the, the same same process for 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 uh, for you know the phase the various phase trials and uh, you know and before it can be approved, it, you know they they have to show show how you know show the results of all of those things and and I you know like I'm confident that uh, you know we'll you know in the next little while we'll see you know the Johnson and Johnson. Uh, vaccine uh, coming like there, there's you know good indications out like out of India you know and they have a lot lot of capacity as well you know and so so once once we have you know the reality is we're sort of we're we're sort of uh, stuck or, or we're reliant on just the two two manufacturers at the moment but once we can 
you know, if we really want to get the surge in in uh, supply, we 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 have to look to look to others. But but to do that, we also have to uh, uh, have those uh, vaccines approved as well. Yeah, and and we all know the story, of course, that you know we're going to start manufacturing the stuff in in Canada here, specifically in the Montreal area. But that's probably months, if not a year, away from now, uh, which means that uh, yeah, we're going to have the stuff, but uh, probably not for this wave uh, that's coming up right now. But we're not even sure right now, Professor, are we about about how often we're going to have to be vaccinated? I mean, this might just be the beginning of a, of a a whole new process here, where we're going to have to manufacture this stuff continually because maybe maybe we are going to need annual boosters. We're not there yet, are we? Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I think we we're still sort of, you know, in early days trying to understand the longer term implications of this. But but I think you know if people sort of view it in in similar fashion to you know the sort of the annual sort of influenza sort mm-hmm. of shots that people get. I think if people sort of view it in the same sort of way, uh, you know, that, I think that's what we you know we might have to have to do you know for the next few years anyway and, until we. Sort of really understand, you know, how what sort of long-term uh, immunity the, the current vaccines provide. Because in some ways we we don't know that because you know they're just they're really the, the trials have shown that they're they're effective in regard to major symptoms and uh, and you know for for you know for the current period of time. But but without sort of the longer-term trials, you know, over multiple years, uh, you don't know you know what length of uh, immunity they provide. So, so you know, w- yeah, I think you know we we have to sort of uh, look at uh, the you know potentially you know, sort of an ongoing uh, widespread immunisation campaign. What about the, uh, the the rollout here? How we're doing this, and and I'm trying to compare this to what some of the other countries are doing. I mean, of course, you can use Israel, I suppose, as an example, since they seem to be having so much success with it right now. Uh, People that are most vulnerable are supposed to be the first in line right now, and of course that includes uh, not just first responders, but people in long-term care facilities and things of that nature. Uh, is, is that working? Or is, do we stick to that protocol, or is it time to maybe reevaluate that and, and see if there's a, a, a wider net that we can cast? Yeah, uh, like, like, yeah. There's there's different ways you can sort of, you know, sort of work out the criteria. Uh, you know, I think if you, you know, if you look at, you know, who's most affected, and you know, and also. You know, say who who gets the sickest, and also who you know uh, who passes away more more often because of this. Uh, then that gives you an indication of who you should target. And and still, you know, we're still looking at you know uh, the elderly and people with you know underlying uh, health conditions as really the, the target target uh, group. And so so definitely, you know, first responders and uh, you know, people you know in the elderly, you know, sort of. Uh, you know, uh, 80, 80, 80 years old or, or older. You know, whether or not they have symptoms or not, uh, whether or not they're in aged care homes or not. But, but uh, you know, sort of elderly people in aged care homes, uh, first responders. I think that that you know, they're they're all really the, the people to really focus on right at the moment. Which is what uh, some of the other countries have done. I was interested to see some of the stats from Israel because that's obviously the protocol that they were following, following rather. And uh, as soon as you eliminate where most of the deaths are, which seems to be, as you say, uh, people over 75 and, and those that are in long-term care facilities, it's amazing the impact that has on the statistics, doesn't it? Not just mm-hmm. the, the mortality numbers, but the number of people that actually get the virus. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So so I think that's, you know, so it, this, is a, this is a sort of a whole whole process of sort of 
review, you know, constantly reviewing st- the statistics and sort of sort of understanding the, the time course uh, and and the age distribution and uh, of, of of what's happening. And so so and that sort of all gets back to the uh, you know the the real importance of of ongoing testing and and really really having uh, you know, widespread testing uh, and and having testing more available for for more people. The Pfizer vaccine was the first one, and it's it's obviously the one many countries, including Canada, are leaning on at this stage. Uh, the 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 problem, I guess, from the outset of that, Professor, of course, was the fact that you have to store it at such low temperatures, and it's it's difficult to transport because of that. Uh, is is this process going to get easier as we go along? And as you mentioned, as as some of the other ones, the J and J, and some of the other ones that are being developed right now, come on the market. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because you know, but it gets down to the sort of type of vaccine they are, and, and the, uh, the the Pfizer and the Moderna ones are are a, in essence a newer sort of technology uh, vaccine that that requires the, uh, the the very low temperatures and also the, the two doses. Whereas some of the others are sort of, if you want to call it older technology, but you know still effective, and, but also but only require one dose and and uh, still require transportation at you know, at colder temperatures, what we call the cold chain, but but not at the same uh, really low temperatures. And so, so what that means is that uh, once you have vaccines that are uh, much more easily to distribute, you're you're able to uh, get them, you know, distribute them wider. And 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 in a lot of ways, the, the aged care homes and, and uh, sort of settings that are uh, may not have the sort of facilities for for the the really cold storage that that the Pfizer Moderna and Moderna vaccines require. You know, they're good for they're good for you know hospitals and and you know uh, and other facilities that, that have have good uh, storage. But but a lot of these places that you want to get into to you know don't have that. And so uh, so definitely the the wider wider range of uh, uh, vaccines that are available that that, that are more easily transported uh, uh, will will be able to will be more effective in regard to distribution and, and uh, you know. Really ramping up the uh, the, the uh, doses that we that can be administered. I, I kind of get the feeling sometimes, Professor, that this is a race against the clock because uh, some of the uh, medical experts are now telling us about a third wave that, while well, some are saying is inevitable, I hope that's not the case. Uh, but if, if the rate of vaccination improves, uh, does that mitigate the impact of a possible third wave? Uh, well, it, it does. It does from the perspective uh, uh, that, that you're you're having, you know. Less uh, sort of people in the community who who can get who can get you know sort of have symptoms, but but at this stage, you know, just because you might have the might be immunized, immunized doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that you can't also still spread it. You know, you still could be infected and still spread it, but you won't get the symptoms yourself. So 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 what what it means is that I think we've you know uh, you you would the more people you have. Uh, Vaccinated will you, you should you should have less you know uh, less people with symptoms, uh, but I think what what we're uh, you know the, the the key key is regarding the you know the new what you know people have heard about the range of variants or the mm-hmm. what the, basically the virus is mutating and, uh, and the question is is the vaccines effective against these these variants or mutations of the vac- of, of the virus and and you know at this stage they, they believe they believe they are but uh, you know longer term you know depending on the the uh, 
genetic structure of, of the, the, you know, say maybe future variants that they may, may not be. So, so I think that's where, that's where people are talking about this third wave is this, uh, is the, 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 you know, if the, the, the number of, or the proportion of, of, uh, of cases are due to, the proportion of cases due, uh, due to the variants really increases in comparison to the, the original virus, uh, then that, that's, re- that's really important because the, you know, the, uh, the new variants uh, seem to be more easily transmitted. So, so if, if they're more easily transmitted, then uh, you know, the, the existing pre- prevention measures that, we're, uh, that we have in place uh, you know, really need to be uh, sort of ramped up versus sort of uh, eased. Professor, always great to get your perspective on this. Thanks so much for the time today, and uh, stay well. Hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks very much, Bill. I really appreciate it. Take care. Professor Thomas Tenkate from uh, Ryerson University giving us some perspective. We just have to be patient, I guess. That's what it comes down to. Everybody wants this thing to be over with, and it's just not going to happen that quickly. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to continue to talk about vaccines because a couple of interesting polls came out in the last little while, and uh, I, I want to juxtapose that with the attitudes that we got uh, i guess about last fall october november when we were talking about vaccines and, and an awful lot of ontarians and canadians for that matter uh were a little nervous about the vaccination program and said well let's let somebody else get it first and we'll see how it works and this we'll just kind of stay back and of course there were others that just don't want to get the, vac- the, the vaccine at all that seems to be changing not only uh, the majority of us are looking forward to it uh, we're getting a little upset about the fact that it's not going as quickly as we thought it would, and we're blaming somebody for it. Uh, Christian Bork is going to join us to talk about this. Uh, Christian, of course, Executive Vice President of Leger, who have done a couple of different polls about this over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Christian, always a pleasure. Uh, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Bill. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about this. First of all, the, there was a poll that you guys did a couple of days, I guess it was later in January, where they said the majority of Canadians, the overwhelming majority, said that they would get vaccinated right now. That That is a bit of a change of attitude from the last three or four months, isn't it? Yes, what we're seeing now is that the percentage of Canadians who want to be vaccinated is now up to 73%, which is the highest uh, level we've recorded since last April, actually. And um, you, you referred to a question that we asked. Do you want to get the first vaccine that will be available, or do you want to wait a while, basically let others sort of test it uh, mm-hmm. before you get it? And since uh, now the, today the new data that came out shows that a majority of Canadians say they will take the first vaccine that it is that is made available to them. So this is also a change, sort of a people want to increase the pace of, uh, of vaccination in Canada, and then probably... Um, this is because of all the talk that we were hearing about this British variant, this South African variant, uh, which which actually is is scaring off a lot of Canadians. And I can understand that. I mean, you know, because we, I, I think a lot of us probably had the, the misperception anyway uh, last fall, September, October, that yeah, you know what, the worst is over. And, you know, the, there might be a second wave this winter, but the vaccination's on the way, so we're going to be fine. Now we're starting to hear about these variations and that it may be more deadly and that it spreads more rapidly. Uh, we're getting a little impatient now, and we're blaming the government for this, aren't we? Yeah, we asked uh, over the weekend, are you confident that uh, the federal government will meet its target to have all of us, all who all want to be, vaccinated by end of September? And a majority of Canadians, 51%, say, no, I'm not confident that we will meet that target. Uh, and when we asked you, why do you, are we seeing delays in, in the actual process, uh, two-thirds, well, uh, even more than two-thirds, 69% of Canadians blame the federal government uh, for its capacity to get the actual doses off the, the global market, 
while only 14% blame their province for their capacity to actually get the shots in people's arms. And that's interesting. I guess it's a, it really a reflection on human nature, isn't it? I mean, you know, we were told that there are vaccine shortages, and we were told that well, other countries are kind of going through the same thing. Uh, but we look to, you know, I guess right here at home and say, okay, who can we point the finger at? It's got to be the federal government because they're the ones that made all those promises. And if, you know, if these guys at Pfizer aren't delivering, that's not their problem. That's Canadian government's problem. Uh, and, and, of course, the premiers are on, are, you know, they're, they're singing from the same song sheet. So, I mean, it seems like right now that all eyes are on the federal government. Yeah, and, and we, we also ask the question, should the federal government accelerate the approval process at Health Canada to make other vaccines available in Canada? And again, 50% of Canadians say, yes, we should move forward and get more vaccines um, uh, approved by Health Canada as quickly as possible. So there is sort of that acceleration, I guess, of, of people's expectations that, uh, hey, we need, to get, we need to get vaccinated now. And that's a real turnaround from from what it was a few months ago because we were a little nervous because uh, I heard this on the program constantly. And I'm sure you guys did with your marketing too. That uh, you know, hey, this is going a little bit too fast. We were told this was going to be a year or two at least uh, before we got this, and now all of a sudden people are rolling up their sleeves and getting vaccinated. You know, are, are you sure you're you know dotted all the i's and crossed all the t's? But I, I guess we're seeing the success in other parts of the world and figuring, hey, you know, what's taking so long for us now? <laughs> You're absolutely right. The other thing we asked you, which is kind of funny, is that, okay, so we, you want us to accelerate the pace of, of approving new vaccines. How about the Russian vaccine? Should we get that? We asked about Sputnik. Um, and only 20% of Canadians say, yes, I want the Russian vaccine. And when we asked about the Chinese vaccine, only 22% of Canadians say, yes, I want that one. So what really they're, what they're looking for in terms of alternatives to the, the slow pace of, of getting doses now is the approval of other vaccines from major pharmaceutical companies. And they're not ready to start looking um, at Sputnik, for example, which now Germany and France are considering approving. That's rather odd. And again, maybe it goes back to this trepidation that we had about this. Uh, you know, we don't trust uh, the Russians. We don't trust the Chinese. So how would we trust their vaccines? Uh, but uh, I guess uh, those skeptical folks, Christian, are going to be looking at Germany and France and say, well, if it's going to work for them, eh, maybe it's not so bad after all. Yeah, and only a couple of months of, of history behind the actual Pfizer vaccine being out there and administered in different countries is already making us comfortable taking it ourselves. So it doesn't take that long to, to, to switch people around or get them to reconsider their initial position. This is, a, I guess, a combination of a bunch of things, though, and I, that's why I'm always interested in the surveys you guys do because, I mean, the, it's it's the the questions you ask, and, and you know, it, I understand that any survey that, that you guys do is, is really just a snapshot in time, but if you compare that with a snapshot from three weeks ago or three months ago, and you get a real, uh, I think, clear picture as to how we're changing our attitudes on this and, and getting a little bit impatient on this uh, and asking the government to kind of wrap things up and do we really need to, to go through this approval process. I remember yeah. one the, the, a conversation I had with you guys. I guess it was a couple of months ago. Uh, you know, we prided ourselves that you know, that uh, that Canada takes a little bit longer than some of the other countries to okay these things, but that's because we want to make sure that everything is going to be fine. Uh, and now we're saying, heck, don't take so long. Let's just get this stuff up. I want to roll up my sleeve. Yeah, and one thing hasn't changed though over time is the percentage of Canadians who consider vaccines to be somewhat dangerous, and they're basically anti-vaxxers that's eight to nine percent depending on the survey we do so it's not because there's a lot of canadians out there being sort of anti-vaccine it was just sort of this wait and see attitude uh, uh that i guess characterized our data if we compared it to 
um, other countries. But now we're sort of flipping around um, and coming around to basically saying, um, when can I get an appointment? That's where we are today. But there's, you know, we just talked about that fact, and of course the, the the threat of the third wave that we were talking about a couple of minutes ago. I guess that one of the other factors in this whole thing too that probably had an impact on the way people responded to your survey this past weekend. Uh, I think we're getting a little tired of lockdowns. We're getting a little tired of of all the protocols that we had to go through. I think we understand that they're necessary, but I, I, we're pretty. I, I was going to say we're almost at the, the tipping point here. I think maybe some of us are probably beyond the tipping point at this stage, and we're just saying let's get this thing, let's get this vaccine, and let's get this over with. Oh, absolutely, and I believe as well. A lot of the news stories over the past few weeks were early on. Canada is now sixth among industrialized countries in terms of vaccination. Canada is now thirty third among. Uh, industrialized countries for vaccination. Now we were 39th last week, and and Canadians want and we don't want to think of Canada being 33rd or 39th on anything, uh, let alone vaccination. So I think they were sort of looking for a better storyline or for you know some good news coming from uh, from Ottawa, which we got over the weekend and and yesterday from our reassurance anyway from Pfizer that that things would be sort of uh, uh, moving forward faster now. Uh, and I think that's what Canadians were looking for. But, Christian, you've been tracking Canadians' attitude towards uh, government and government officials for many, many years now, and that's that's probably not unusual. I mean, you know, we, we prided ourselves a few months ago on the fact that uh, I think what the Prime Minister was uh, bragging almost about the fact that, you know what, we have more vaccines per capita than any other country in the world. Of course, they haven't been delivered at that stage, but we thought, hey, that's great. Boy, I guess these guys have really done their work. And like you say, we're, we're dropping like a stone now when you compare ourselves to other countries. So I can understand the frustration. And, and, of course, they're going to blame the government for that. Oh, of course. And one thing, though, is that throughout this whole crisis, I mean, Canadians have been sort of um, actually very good at following up on the measures, on trusting government that they were doing the right thing. Um, they were told not to gather at Christmas. They did it. Uh, and we, we sort of know all of that. If we compare it just to our American data on the same questions, I mean, it, it, it's a whole different story down down there compared to us but at some point i mean we are when is that point where we've tested canadians patients just a bit too much or a bit too long and i i think that we uh, uh we cannot afford to test that patients and, and canadians basically deciding not to trust their government institutions because that's when the whole thing will break down well, that makes us even more frustrated, though, isn't it? If we say, hey, hey, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing here. We're masking. We're social distancing. We're not really gathering. Uh, and, and and still, you know, this is this, this still talking about a third wave. So we figured it can't be our fault because we're following the protocol. It's got to be the government. Your end of the deal. You're absolutely <laughs> right. And I believe when you actually consider it, uh, if, if the, uh, the Liberals were thinking about a spring election, uh, until they turned this vaccination campaign around, uh, I don't know if they want to take that risk. Yeah, well, uh, I, 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 I got to believe that's off the table right now. A month ago, <laughs> before all this stuff started with the vaccine delays, uh, they were looking pretty good, weren't they? The polls were, were in their favor. And you got to figure, Kristen, there was a temptation there to say, let's pull the plug and see if we can come out of this with a majority. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure that's been shelved now. Well, yeah, even though they're still ahead in, in, in the polls, they're still in first place and would likely form at least a minority government, but that's not what they're looking for, of course. Uh, the other thing, though, is that if, if they were to go too early uh, in the next few weeks, it would be a campaign on the vaccination campaign, and, and there's 
probably no way of winning that. So uh, I, I think if I would agree with you, probably that scenario is off the table now. Well, I will be watching your polling on this because I know you guys are, are, are probably going to be asking that question and many others. Uh, always a pleasure to, ha- to have you on the program, Christian, and great to get your perspective. And thanks so much for this today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks. Take care. Christian Bork, who is the executive vice president of Leger, who uh, kept their finger on the pulse of how we are feeling as Canadians about what's happening with the virus and with the vaccine program, for that matter, too. Hey, glad you're with us today. This is the Bill Kelly Show, 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML in Hamilton. And what's happening with the weather? Uh, it's been a weird, weird last 24 hours or so. Actually, a little longer than that, depending on which part of the province you're in right now. Uh, Anthony Fardell joins us. Anthony, of course, is Chief Meteorologist with Global News. Anthony, always a pleasure. Uh, boy, you said we were going to get snow, and you weren't kidding, were you? I wasn't kidding, although uh, my <laughs> forecast actually had more snow than what fell. So consider uh, <laughs> your listeners lucky, because uh, I haven't yet any amounts in the 35 to 40 range, which uh, was definitely a possibility when we were looking at this system approach yesterday, but it did come in hard, it came in quick, and now uh, already conditions, thankfully, are, are improving out there. Well, it's interesting about that, because, I mean, when we saw the forecast over the weekend, uh with rocks and, and, on, on global, we think, okay, it's supposed to start, and it didn't start on early Monday morning as we anticipated. And I thought, okay, it's another one of these systems that's probably switched at the last minute, and it's not going to be as bad. Even when I went to bed last night, I mean, the, it wasn't even snowing in the Hamilton area. I got up at 4.30 this morning, and boom, it was down. It's just like a huge, huge blanket. Uh, it, it hit pretty quickly, didn't it? It did, and yeah, that first wave just disappeared. In fact, here uh, where I am in Toronto, the sun was shining for much of the day, and yeah. I had that moment where I was like, uh-oh, what, what, what's going on here? Are, are we missing this thing completely? And that definitely is in the back of our mind, more so, believe it or not, since COVID started, because there are so many less planes in the air, and those aircraft are such valuable uh, weather stations as they move around the entire planet and we just don't have that input into computer models. So that's a whole other story where uh, the accuracy of some of these models has, for the first time in, in well over a decade, have, has gone down this past year. I think, well, what about the system itself? I mean, you've talked to us for years about you know, Alberta Clippers or Colorado Lows and all this sort of stuff, and, you know, the, the impact that it has once it gets to the Great Lakes. But I was looking at your map last evening on the news. This stretches from the Texas Panhandle all the way up to, well, Quebec now. I mean, it's a huge, huge system. Uh, yeah, it is. And uh, forget the Texas Panhandle. That would be a typical Texas low if it came from there. This actually encompassed all of Texas, and there's still almost 4 million customers there in the dark, rolling brownouts. And uh, I've seen just on uh, Twitter people's houses now uh, entering the 20s Fahrenheit because they haven't had power for two days. So that's that's a whole other story. That winter storm uh, picked up some moisture from the Gulf of Mexico and caused uh, severe weathers, tornado reports last night, unfortunately hitting a couple of communities in North Carolina. So there's a lot of energy down there. And then it's just been so much cold on the backside. And here in Ontario, it's been cold since, since uh, well, early February. So we knew it was going to be snow, and uh, it delivered. And uh, we're not quite done yet. I, I know you're an avid skier. I got heard from a family relative today who's up in uh, in the Collingwood Blue Mountain area, uh, and they said this is this was this is heaven for them. This is Christmas warning for them. This is the day that the ski hills open, of course, again in Ontario. This morning is when they're officially open again, and they've been it's been snowing in there apparently since Saturday night. So I mean, this is this is a great day if you want to hit the slopes, isn't it? 
Oh, I, I, I would love to be up there. There's always <laughs> this confusion. Okay, if you're not in the green zone, can you go? Can you not? But, uh, yeah, imagine a ski hill that's been closed for the better part of the winter. So you don't just have that fresh powder from the last couple of days, but you have a winter's worth of uh, powder. And it would just be amazing to be uh, on the trail, but also in some of those trees up there. I, I'm, I'm jealous for whoever's out skiing <laughs> today. Well, I'll tell you what, if you're not on Global News at 5.30 today, I'll know where you are, okay? So Actually, you... uh, funny you say that because uh, my news director and myself, we're going to be doing a little uh, experiment today. We're, we're going to take our cross-country skis, and at the oh. beginning of our newscast, we're going to put those on, and then we're going to hop onto the Dawn Trail, and I'm going to ski all the way home uh, during the newscast. So we'll, we'll see how oh, that goes. <laughs> that should be a hoot. We'll be watching for that. Oh, by the way, and you said we're not finished with the snow. What's coming up on Thursday? Yeah, Thursday, uh, this is something that uh, we've been watching. We knew it was going to be a one-two punch. Thankfully, this, too, looks like it's tracking a, a little bit uh, further south and a bit weaker than what we were thinking even yesterday. So, yes, we're still going to get some snow uh, because of Hamilton's positioning and the low track. There's going to be lake enhancement again, so amounts are going to be heaviest right around Hamilton. So right now I'm thinking 10 to 15 centimeters, uh, but there is still some changes that are occurring. And my snowfall map yesterday would have said 25 plus. So I guess it's uh, heading in the right direction, but uh, this is not even the end of it. I think this pattern is going to be ripe with at least two or three more solid winter storms uh, through the end of February and, and into March. Is that usual to to get this much snow? This I was going to say this late into winter. I mean, I, you know, when when we don't get any around Christmas time and everything, we start to think, well, I guess that's the worst of it. But uh, it, it, late late February it seems unusual to get this amount of snowfall. Yeah, and it, it has everything to do with the pattern lining up and uh, the cold air available. So uh, we didn't have this cold air for all of January. One thing that uh, that was interesting early January, we noticed something called a sudden stratospheric warming event. Sounds complex and, and it is still not very well understood but it happens up over the north pole uh there's the troposphere the stratosphere is above that so way up in the atmosphere and when that warms suddenly it tends to disrupt the polar vortex and then there's a, a ticking time bomb if you will of about four to six weeks where you wait for the effects to be felt around the planet and that is uh, i think something that researchers will look at uh, for setting off this slew of events that have now turned extreme in so many parts of, of North America and, and Europe as well. Well, i got to figure, we talked about the people that are going to be ecstatic about the skiers, certainly on this. How, Storm loves this, too. Storm, the, the weather dog, just loves the snow, doesn't he? He loves it, yeah. I uh, made the mistake of not uh, putting his little boots on this morning, but uh, the, salt, the salters were out in full force, so I will not make that mistake again. He uh, turns into a snowball, and then uh, there's, there's a whole... Oh, slew of things, but he, he loves the snow. He eats it every day. So, <laughs> excellent stuff, Anthony. We'll be watching for you at Global News at five thirty today, or five and five thirty. Of course, and see exactly what's going to be happening uh, with the cross country skiing, and uh, we'll uh, batten down the hatches, I guess, for Thursday. Always a pleasure. Thanks for this today. All right, thanks for having me on. Take care. Take care, Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist with Global News, and uh, you can catch him at five thirty and six, of course, on Global News, cross country skiing through uh, the GTA. You might as well have fun while you're doing it, right? 
shoveling it is maybe not so much fun, but if you can play in it, uh, all the better for all of us, I suppose. And it's not going away anytime soon. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. The uh, political firestorm continues in the United States. Uh, it did not end, of course, over the weekend with the, uh, the vote uh, to uh, acquit Donald Trump. Of course, uh, in the impeachment hearings that went on, a lot of people were surprised the vote even happened because uh, there's uh, threats of calling witnesses that could have taken weeks, if not months, to get done. But uh, as uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, decided which way he was going to vote, he's getting an awful lot of pushback uh, from an awful lot of different sources right now. Mark Remillard has the details on that. McConnell voted to acquit Trump and then said this. President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he was in office. Didn't get away with anything. Yeah. House impeachment manager Madeline Dean on ABC's This Week. To hear and see Mitch McConnell stand and say not guilty and then minutes later stand again and say he was guilty of everything. History will remember uh, that statement. Democratic Senator Chris Coons told ABC he believes that if there was a secret vote held, Trump would have been convicted. Mark Remillard, ABC News. Well, we'll see about that. Uh, joining us to talk about all this is uh, Brian J. Karen. Brian, of course, is executive editor of Sentinel Newspapers. He's White House reporter for Playboy, political analyst for CNN, and, of course, his podcast, Just Ask the Question, is always uh, thought-provoking and, uh, well, always insightful as to what's happening in uh, U.S. politics. Brian, pleasure to have you back in the program. Hope you're doing well these days. Well, you know, we're dodging bullets, but we're doing all right. How about you? <laughs> uh, literally and figuratively, of course, on Capitol Hill yep. the last couple of weeks because of what's happening here. Uh, no, I don't think anybody was surprised by the vote over the weekend. But, and I don't know, Brian, if even people were surprised by Mitch McConnell's actions. I mean, you, you've, I think, done a pretty accurate job of characterizing just what kind of a politician Mitch McConnell is. But even for McConnell, what he did over the weekend is beyond the pale. Well, no, not not beyond the pale for Mitch McConnell, beyond the pale for, you know, most common folk. But Mitch McConnell, um, he, he, he tried to accomplish two deeds. Uh, one was keep the people who support Donald Trump in Mitch McConnell's camp so he could control the Republicans. That's what he did with his vote. And then with his statement after the fact he was trying to keep the big money donors who have decided that they're no longer going to support those who support donald trump he was trying to keep those firmly in his uh, grasp as well so you know mitch mcconnell is duplicitous mitch mcconnell is about mitch mcconnell mitch mcconnell has no soul um so whatever mitch mcconnell does nothing would surprise you about him that was just a that was typical mitch mcconnell but, you know, the old adage that when you try to please everybody, you end up pleasing nobody. I mean, is, is, is this strategy going to work? He doesn't care. <laughs> Mitch McConnell <laughs> does not care. Mitch McConnell is about one thing, Mitch McConnell. So whatever he can do to accomplish his goal of staying in power and getting money is what he'll do. And, he, you know, he doesn't – he's routinely in his home state – uh, polls in the low 20s as far as, you know, uh, acceptance and mm-hmm. favorability. And he still manages to get reelected. And he mostly does that through voter suppression and by uh, making sure that he turns out the votes uh, from the people who support him. And, and on the other hand, making sure that and, and he uh, and the Democrats, you know, do it to themselves, too. They don't really run anyone who can run against him. So you can have a low voter turnout, still win the election by being wanted by just a simple minority of the people. Well, and 
I was going to say, you know, we're going to be heading into election season. It's, it's election season is all year long, every year now. I mean, you know, it's not just a couple of months before the midterms or before the general elections. I mean, it's happening now because they're already starting to gear up for the midterm elections. And I know that's what McConnell was thinking about. But the question, I guess, a lot of folks are asking over the weekend, Brian, uh, what does this vote do to the Republican Party? You know, if anybody thought that Donald Trump was going to go away, I think it's sadly mistaken. But how much pull does he have and, and how much of a hold does he still have on the party? Well, he's got a hold on the money, and that's what uh, the people who support Donald Trump are in it to get that money trough that, that he is in control of. The far right and the money that they control is controlling the Republican Party. You ask what's going to happen to the Republican Party, it's, it's irrevocably splitting. And those uh, moderate Republicans who voted against Donald Trump and voted for um, <laughs> impeachment – are being censured by those who still support Donald Trump. You will either see two parties out of where there once was one, or you're going to see uh, more Republicans migrate to either independence or to uh, the Democratic Party. And what ultimately will be left of the Republican Party is Donald Trump, his racists, his misogynists, his uh, QAnon supporters. It's going to be the freak show party. It, and that's, you know, basically what it is now, join our freak show. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of amazing to see the evolution of the party over the last number of years. I mean, you know, we were shocked, I guess, back in the mid-1990s by the Tea Party element to the party, but they, they're they the moderates now. <laughs> well, there are no moderates left in the Republican Party, really. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking at a Tea Party member, and that's what you're, you're, you're right, that's what they're saying is now the moderate uh, part of the Republican Party, you're pretty well done. I mean, the Republican Party, if you remember, used to be progressive. The Republican Party used to be, you know, before the grand old party, the GOP, before it was what it is now. The last real Republican that you can say that was elected to office as president was Eisenhower, who, who wanted uh, a pathway for uh, immigrants to become citizens, supported um, uh, health care for everyone, supported the Interstate uh, um, Highway Commission, supported many things that today is considered far left. Uh, there is no far left. There's only uh, Trumplicans to the far right and everyone else. And what you have left in the Republican Party since, well, actually it started with Richard Nixon. If you see every uh, Republican president that has come since Eisenhower left, and that would be starting with Nixon and his Southern strategy, that's, he knew that the Republican Party was being minimalized so he adopted a racist Southern strategy to uh, to gain uh, access to the presidency. He did it, and the Republican Party has been in that Southern strategy ever since. And so it has gone farther and farther and farther to the right, to where it's going to ultimately, if it hasn't already, crashed into a wall and you know burned. The uh impeachment thing by the way i wanted to get your because we haven't talked for a couple of weeks now uh what, yeah. what, what was your uh, assessment of, of how the the impeachment process underway i mean uh you know uh, how the it presented information i know that uh, the committee took a lot of heat for not bringing witnesses forward on saturday uh and you know the the rationale seemed to be well f for what reason i mean they're, they're just going to tell everybody what we've already told them over the last two or three days did how, how would you rate their performance I think uh, the lead case manager, Jamie Raskin, put together a very logical, cogent, um, emotionless, fact-based um, prosecution against Donald Trump. 
So everyone who's able to have cogent thought anywhere in the world will see what a piece of you-know excrement Donald Trump is and everything that he did that was seditious. And I mean, you know, to the point where he tried to get his own vice president killed. They connected the dots very, very well. And for the entire world, it was laid bare. Donald Trump is guilty. He was voted guilty by a majority of senators. It was it was bipartisan. It wasn't a supermajority, which is what you need to convict, because Donald Trump controlled enough senators that that was never going to happen. But he laid out, uh, Jamie Raskin and his team laid out a just remarkable piece of, of, of logic. And we know how well logic plays in the U.S. Senate. So you could say, I guess he failed. But what are you going to do with witnesses? Everybody there was a witness. And you, you saw members of the Senate who loved Donald Trump. They were in cahoots with the defense. It was, it was you know, there was no way you were going to get a conviction in that type of chamber. But what you did get was the world put on notice as to what Donald Trump was and Donald Trump will be hounded by this for the rest of his life. He's got other legal worries that he'll have the rest of his life. He's got financial worries uh, that he's going to have to address. And his only stream of revenue are some 20 to 30 hardcore million hardcore supporters who will give him 20 bucks a month so he can continue to fuel a fight. He'll never run for office again. He'll never he'll never be a president. He'll he'll want to be a kingmaker. The real concern for that is the Mike Pompeo's, the Josh Hollies, those people who aspire to take over the mantle of the Trump Republicans. They are a little smarter and a lot meaner than Donald Trump. Uh, you brought up some of the future uh, legal problems he's going to have. Of course, the story uh, again over the weekend, just around the same time as as the vote happened in the Senate uh, about uh, Cyrus Vance again. Uh, of course, from the Southern District of New York, yeah. and now they're looking at some real estate dealings. Uh, has that been ongoing, Brian, or is it just ramped up in recent days since uh, since Trump left office? Oh, that's been ongoing for months, for years. I mean, the emoluments case against him can now be prosecuted, perhaps. Um, conflict of interest the stuff in georgia where he tried to call up and and change i just need eleven thousand votes just get me eleven thousand votes that will be part of an investigation his property management all of it's going to be and you're right the southern district of new york is one of his biggest worries i mean this the senate may be forgiving but the state of new york is a little more discriminating <laughs> so he's going to have to face that and his children are going to have to face that. He will be in peril for the rest of his life uh, as far as economic and legal problems go. Let's talk about, uh, very briefly, I want to pivot over to, uh, to the guy that is in the White House right now. Uh, Biden's actually tried to keep kind of a low profile through the impeachment hearings, especially over the last couple of days uh, during the, some of the testimony and the presentation of, of what was on there. Uh, I, I think a lot of people, Brian, are still gobsmacked by the fact that here we are uh, toward the end of February now, and we, there's still no relief package for Americans, of any consequence anyway. This thing gets kicked around like a football, and, and it's something that the Biden administration has to get finished uh are they going to still try to find consensus and get everybody on page on, or are they just going to ram this thing through well i think they're going to have to try and do what they got to do to get it one of the reasons why it's been kicked around so much is because donald trump takes up all the oxygen in the room mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, while they were dealing with uh, impeachment, anything else that uh, was important was put by the wayside. But Biden has his own problems. His communication staff is not the best. They've already had the there's already been one communication staffer who apologized and forcibly resigned because of what he said to a reporter, um, T.J. Ducklow, who who um, said he was going to destroy a reporter and made some very misogynistic threats against a reporter. So that person's gone. The, the Biden administration has tried to clamp down on access by reporters. And part of it is, as you said, that he's been trying to keep a low profile and maintain uh, some dignity uh, while this process is ongoing. And he's used the coronavirus to limit access by reporters to limit coverage. Now, that doesn't mean that Biden is doing, you know, is doing anything wrong or nefarious. It just means that he's very cautious and he needs to be a little more he needs to be a little bolder now that Trump is done. There's no more discussing him in Congress. There's no more discussing him at the White House. He should be an afterthought, like once you've had, you know, when you eat too much and you, you, it repeats, that's it. That, that's Donald Trump. <laughs> so move on and take handle of the, you know, of the, of the take the handle of power and drive us forward. And that's what needs to be done now. So, yeah. They're going to have to do something about the package. But what they really need to do is they put priority one at getting the coronavirus epidemic under control. And there's some frightening things that have come out about that. Um, when I asked Dr. Fauci last week, normally, like in the 1918-1919 flu pandemic, that um, flu variant, when it mutated, became less virulent. And eventually today, that flu pandemic, that variant that has mutated is part of the seasonal flu, and it's not any more dangerous than the seasonal flu. But this particular pandemic and this virus, its mutation has threatened, according to Fauci, it hasn't become less virulent, There's, and they're afraid that it's becoming more virulent. So if that's the case, we the whole world has a problem. And so you've got to get the vaccination under control you still have to do the social distancing. We're in a year into this, and uh, honestly, because of the way Donald Trump handled it, it's probably more volatile right now than when it first came out, definitely. So that's where we are right now, and that's what he still has to get a hold of, and that's probably what's driving every decision that's made in the White House is get this under control, get relief because the economy is suffering, people are suffering, those that are the poorest in our country are suffering the most those of the richest are suffering the least and it's the division between the two is becoming increasingly difficult uh to handle as this virus goes on well and he said he was going to make that job one of course when he took over the white house and now that the impeachment thing is off uh, all, all eyes are going to be on the white house now i guess Brian. yeah well they should be all there there should never once donald trump left office i you know i told myself i didn't want to write about him at all unless it was because of the impeachment. And uh, so I kept true to my word, and I haven't written much about him, but he tries to take up all the oxygen even mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I mean, they banned him from, thank God they banned him from Twitter. I can go to sleep at night without having my phone <laughs> with me up three or four times for some god-awful Twitter message he sent out disparaging someone he doesn't like. It feels so great. I feel like I've been, you know, the shackles have been broken, and I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Emancipation at last. Uh, Brian yeah. J. Karam, uh, of course, uh, his podcast, uh, always great to, to find out what's going on. It's called Just Ask the Question. Check it out when you get some time. Brian, always a pleasure. Stay well, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Take care. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.